Welcome to Don't Call It a Book Club. My name is Luke. My name is Dan. And we're starting a new book today. We're starting the fifth season by N.K. Jemison. Um, I think we've read up to chapter nine. Yes, we finished in the first interlude. We just finished the first interlude. Right. It's about a third of the book. But okay. So <laughs> this book is fucking dark, Luke. Oh, yeah. This is far and away the darkest book that we have read. This might be the darkest thing that I have read. Right, and it's dark in a different way than what I think of as being dark popular right now. Right, right. It, yeah, how, yeah, like how is it different? I feel like what we consider dark fantasy, for example is just really gritty scenes of people killing each other in intense fights and like a lot of I guess a lot of that but also a lot of I don't know we talked about this during our Game of Thrones episode but like an unnecessary amount of rape for example right um and things like that that are that are that I think people often say is more almost realistic yes but this is more this is more horrible feelings almost. Yeah. So the the difference that I'm thinking of is the dark in like grim dark fantasy is seeing horrible things happen to people. And the dark in this book is seeing horrible things happen to creatures that have been dehumanized. Like it's yeah. the it's the dehumanization in this that is so unsettling in my gut it's the fact that there's there are these group of people that you can murder you can kill them as babies and nothing will happen to you because they're not considered people you can hide them in a barn and not give them a place to shit and And they're your own kid yeah yeah that it's that level of like dehumanization that is the other thing is dark right the other thing is we're getting that perspective of the people that are being dehumanized, which is just kind of gut-wrenching a little bit. So, you know, a lot of the time when I was reading this, I was just thinking, how are me and Dan going to make this funny? <laughs> I was terrified reading this. I got to the interlude and put the book down, and my first thought was, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> so this episode could be just a lot of Luke and I being... Luke and I saying, yeah, this was pretty shitty, huh? How how shitty was this thing that happened to these people? Yeah. Okay, to be to be clear, I I this is obviously we've said it different than what we normally read. But mm. I think it's fantastic. Oh, yeah. No, I'm very into it, but it's unsettling in my gut. Right. <laughs> okay. Okay. The first thing I've written down is not a funny thing either. It's just, I think like emotions are written. I don't, okay, that's probably poorly phrased, but the the emotional scenes are written so well that I get like this visceral sense of what it's like to be this person. So for example, the scene where, I think her name is Demaya, the, the young origin that gets put in the shed like you were talking about Mm -hmm. and 
her guardian, her new guardian comes to collect her, right? And this this scene of her leaving, so many complex emotions. Oh my gosh. This is the scene I was thinking of when you mentioned it. Yeah, so essentially what happens is this guy who's the guardian comes in to collect her, I guess, and we're learning this from her perspective that her parents have realized that she's this origin, which is basically the the people that have these magical powers to deal with earthquakes or I mean, I'm sure it's more complicated than that, but that's what I'm going to say now. Yeah. <laughs> and we learn that her mom and dad have locked her in this place and called the people to take her away. Or actually, they think that the people are going to kill her, right? Yeah. They haven't talked to her or anything. And this guy this guy kind, kind of reprimands them a little bit. But you're, you're getting all this heartbreak from the daughter that her family treats her like this. And we at first are seeing how terrible, like we're, we're thinking how terrible these parents are, mm-hmm. right? And then the ending, the gut punch for me was when she gives her the blanket and it's her grandma's blanket that she was talking about earlier in the scene. <sighs> right. Because you imagine I... what the family is thinking at this time, because the whole community is set up to where they have to ostracize these people. And so, you know, the family, whether or not they legitimately want her to die they have to appear as though they want her to die because the community expects it of them and so maybe they yeah so you don't really know what the family's motivations are what they're feeling but as soon as she gives her the blanket you know at least there's a little bit left in her that loves her daughter and wants her to have something comforting and I think there's there's the mention of she gives her the blanket and the daughter recognizes it and looks up at her and the mom is trying as hard as she can not to look at her daughter. That was, I, I hear a lot about, for example, I know you haven't read it, but like the first Law series or, uh, I forget his name, <laughs> but uh, the authors that write characters really well and they're like, yeah, they, you know talk normally they cuss in regular conversation like normal people do but this right here was just i don't know it was just bare writing of what happened but it was still just you could i could be in this person's in this character's mindset and i don't know no yeah totally we're we're not getting a lot of the emotions in that scene but the emotions are just coming from the description of how these characters are reacting. And it's fucking brutal. That <laughs> actually brings me to something kind of related in that every single relationship in this book so far, the emotions that people have towards each, towards each other are crazy. The, the relationship between Dayama the woman that's been taken away, Dayama and her guardian, that relationship is so freaking weird. The relationship between Sia, what, what is her name? Sienta? Between uh, um, Alabaster Cyanite. and Cyana? Cyanite. Cyanite. Oh, right. Because it's like a rock formation, which, I mean, that makes naming really easy. Cool. <laughs> 
but the name, the relationship between cyanite and alabaster is super weird. Mm-hmm. And the relationship between, well, so we have Dayama when she's young and when she's old and everybody she interacts with. There's just a weird dynamic. There's so many different, like, conflicting emotions that happen with all these characters. It's sometimes it's really hard to know what's happening when two characters are talking because there's so many different levels of what they're even talking about. Right. I think so. Cyanite and Alabaster have gone back and forth a lot and i don't want to say i don't want to say it's less intense because it definitely is but they've gone back and forth on like hating each other just being there tolerating each other you know they're in an obviously super weird situation but the the diama scenes just swing so widely right and And especially with her and her guardian right yeah, that's what I that's mostly what I mean. Yeah. And then the I don't know, have we gotten I think we have. We've gotten the name of the the mother, I guess, that it, that is referred to as you in this. I guess it's her perspective, but she's talking to herself. Um I forget her name, but that one I don't think quite swings as much, maybe. Wait, it's just is, like is that not bad? I think that's all Diama. This is something, this is a question I had. Is the mother not the older version of Diama? Or are these three, are we, are we getting three different characters in this book? Or are two of the characters separated by time? I never even considered the time thing. So I, I thought it was. Well, because in one of, so in the mother's story, there is this cataclysmic event that has just happened. In none of the other stories has this event happened, right? Hmm. So I thought Diama was, we were getting two Diama stories. One was when she was young and being taken by the Guardian. And then now we're getting her old when she has come, I think it's the same place she was taken from. Interesting. I don't know if that's the case. I might have like, because I thought I read the blanket in two different places and I thought those okay. two different places that I read the blanket were in the mother story and the Diama story. Okay. I, ooh, this actually, this actually kind of, I didn't realize that there was no hint of this cataclysm in the other two stories. Right. But now you, okay, you might be right. Because if there was this cataclysm, cyanide in her tin ring i would not be just out doing nonsense right right so okay so i i think you might be right this is these are different time periods yeah i think they've got to be well actually this so this brings me to uh, maybe a very small prediction okay so the book opens with somebody causing this cataclysm mm-hmm. alabaster is throwing off some super hardcore rebel vibes isn't he yes especially in these last two chapters he's throwing off some hey we should overthrow the government kind of vibes yeah the first chapter we read it's a man and a woman and the man has just caused this crazy cataclysm to happen and he says something to the woman 
I don't remember exactly what he says, but there's this like discussion that goes, this could be our two characters that we're learning, but just later in time. Okay. I, so I could see Alabaster being that guy. I'd have to go back and look to see if his description matches. Mm-hmm. But the woman that he talks to is a different race, or not race, but is one of these barely mentioned species mm. that are... Oh, you're right, like a mole person. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if we've gotten a name for them yet, but um, I actually, they're, I think they're, they they look like statues almost. Yeah. Right? I think they're por- they look like they're made of porcelain or something like that. Yeah. Which led me to think that this doesn't really connect to anything right now, but that the the kid that the mother let's call her the mother but maybe diama grown up okay maybe and and i apologize to readers that this that this was obvious too if that's the case (laughs) for us figuring this out on the fly but um that kid is probably one of these oh yeah i'm totally getting that other other humanoid species right yeah yeah which is which is gonna be interesting to learn more about I just, well, okay. How dirty was he? <laughs> yeah, for her to not notice that he is like bright white and porcelain. Yeah. Got, yeah. Gotta be pretty freaking dirty. I don't know if I've ever been that dirty in my life that you could not see my skin underneath. If I were naked, you couldn't see my skin underneath. But anywhere, right. Yeah. Now, he is a like a porcelain mole person, right? Mm-hmm. So they're probably used to just being covered in dirt. You know? <laughs> I've never been a mole person. I don't know if... So I get why you're saying mole person. Because I think we get the hint that they lived under... Or came from underground. Yeah. But I don't know if they're just under there digging around. Well, what else are they doing? I I I feel like I got the sense that they were almost really far underground. As in, not just surface level, underground. I see. And did and did some magic stuff to move around, but maybe they're just digging around in there, which would explain why he's so why dirty. he's so freaking dirty. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. I definitely think that this person that the mother is interacting with is one of these creatures, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Oh God, this. Ah, I'm bummed that I didn't realize that this was grown up Diana because that would have. Yeah, I I think it is, but I mean, if we tweet at us at DC to BC, if we're wrong, give us a heads up. Or if it's like obvious, <laughs> if they if her name is back here and it's Diama, you can yell at us. Yell at Luke. <laughs> yell at Luke. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, but let's okay. Now, since we're talking about the kid, yeah, <laughs> he comes up. And oh, I don't remember exactly if I said this, if I wrote this down when he first shows up, but he's just kind of sitting there yeah, and creeps up on her. No, no sound whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And she says, this is the kind of thing that happens in horror stories. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Run. <laughs> Stick with that instinct, dude. This is terrifying. Also, the fact that this kid seems way more mature than his size. That's a bad sign. Right. That's never a good thing. There is a specific detail, though, that she mentioned as she's talking about what could happen. Did you did you pick up on what 
what kind of things that this kid could lead to if she got too close to him. There was one in particular that was a little bit wild. I I don't know if I picked up on it. She said there are bands of cannibal children that run around. I do remember this. What? (laughs) This is actually weird because for some reason I read that. I was like, that's crazy, but didn't think much of it. Well, because in the context of this super fucked up world, that's pretty normal. That seems pretty blasé. <laughs> but thinking about it now, you have you call yourself a part of a government. But in the in the world that this government exists in, there are bands of cannibal children that feed on travelers. You're not in a government. I'm sorry. There's no government there. At least they're not. <laughs> You're paying taxes, but those taxes aren't going towards anything. <laughs> oh, like that's the that's the first thing. Mm-hmm. In every, I think in our constitution, the first sentence is, "In response to the roving bands of cannibal children, we elect to form a new government. We, the people, by the people, for the people, to not be eaten by cannibal children." Right. And then yeah. the rest of the stuff comes after that. It's like, also, we'll do these other things. But first and <laughs> foremost, there will be no cannibal children. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm just curious at the next the next council meeting where, you know, there's OK, so I'm sure this is a very this has a centralized government in Jimenez or whatever that city's called. Right. But I, I have to assume that there's there's more branches of government. Right. There's a little, there's a, there's a larger area that covers, you know, I don't know, let's say 400 square miles. This council meeting, <laughs> somebody comes in. All right, we've got two things to cover today. <laughs> the first, we've got some roving bands of cannibal children. The second, not enough people showed up to the bake sale. What are we doing? <laughs> They're focused on, on the bake sale. We're not going to be able to afford a prison. We're not going to be able to afford a prison for the origins if we don't raise enough money at this bake sale, guys. Yeah, why is the cannibal children not higher on the list of priorities? They have electric lights. Oh, this is the other thing. I can't figure out exactly what kind of time period this is. Yeah, I'm. I've been trying to figure that out too. It seems like a very, like, mm, I'm trying to think of the word. Like, there's a great dis- wealth disparity in this world. That's what I'm kind of envisioning. To where they have access to technology that provides electric lights and like penicillin, but that's really only in these really big cities, right? And everywhere else. I'm kind of envisioning works with bow and arrows and dirt roads. Yeah. Cause so I have a couple things that helps me, you know, it's in a fantasy book that helps me figure it out. Mm-hmm. One is what kind of weapons are we using? Which I haven't heard much about what kind of weapons they're using. So the mother, I haven't, I haven't heard has anything about swords. Okay. And I have, the guardian has a dagger that he pulls at one point. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, because he points. Yeah, I haven't heard anything about guns. We do know that there's electricity. And 
but but potentially they're all riding horses yeah potentially high levels of medicine Mm -hmm. the and then okay so i think we get the sense of this cataclysm that happens every now and then that destroys societies essentially then we get they call them fifth seasons right and they we get hints of other civilizations that this has ended that seem to potentially be much farther along so there's i think i think they call them obelisks yeah in the sky yeah so that society is super advanced i would guess <laughs> so so my guess is that this world has gone super far in the past everything's come down back down to like the stone age or something and then now we're being built up to what i would picture as like 1800 like like eight, late 1800s or something like that it it seems to me like if you've ever played a video game like civilization or rim world any game where you're building like a home base and you're exploring a research tree like a tech tree it seems to me like certain parts of the tech tree they've gone really far in and other parts not like combustion engines they've spent no resources studying but they have like light bulbs and electricity and penicillin figured out right and they've just it, they've just gone down that part of the tech tree really far but neglected everything else yeah. And either that's because these are the only things that they focus on or maybe these this tech has been like passed down. Like it was they were able to reverse engineer only parts of an ancient civilization tech that they're mm-hmm. able to use. But maybe they aren't really great at coming up with stuff. So they've been kind of stuck. Okay, sure. That's kind of where I'm at. But yeah, I'm having a really hard time picturing the like placing it relative to our world. Right. Especially Which might be dumb because it's a fantasy. World. Yeah, that's yeah, that's fair. But especially <laughs> with this most recent thing that we the, the one of the most recent horrors that we witnessed of this child being kept alive in a bed so that they can s- stop earthquakes happening. That would take a fair amount of technolo- technology to keep someone alive just sitting in a bed. Right. And yeah. they mentioned that you need special medicines. They have like IVs going into this kid and their stomach is like outside of their body so that they can feed them or it's a colostomy bag. Either way, they're keeping a kid alive who's basically in a coma. Mm-hmm. And they've performed a high level surgery on them. So that seems pretty advanced to me. Yeah, yeah, me too. Like technologically advanced to be able to do that. But at the same time, they rode horses to go meet this kid. It's weird. Right. The world is very weird. Yeah. And and I guess we, let's, we can leave it at that because, again, it's a fantasy world. So we don't... Maybe that, you know, you talk about combustion engines. Maybe they don't have the materials to make, I don't know, gasoline or gunpowder. Like I said, we don't have guns. Maybe gunpowder just doesn't exist in this world. I, I, don't know. I feel like these origins would be so good at getting that oil, though. Drill, baby, drill. Am I right? <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> okay. There's there's <laughs> something else that I want to talk about in terms of the technology of this world. 
they're sending alabaster and oh fuck i forgot it again cyanite cyanite that's right they're sending alabaster and cyanite to go deal with some coral in a harbor i read that and thought guys we're i mean we're pretty good at that that's not that hard we're killing coral and we're not even trying you need two mad magicians you need two essentially wizards to go deal with some coral (laughs) come on what exactly are they doing with the coral I think they're just going to break it up because they want to, I think the entrance to the harbor is blocked, which how I don't, I don't understand how that works because it's not like coral grows overnight. (laughs) Maybe they just dug out a harbor and decided that they, I mean, I mean, okay. Our coral coral doesn't grow overnight. No, they mention in the book that coral behaves similarly to coral in our world. Okay. Um, because they mentioned it's not going anywhere and the problem is in a new one. Right. And so maybe they, or maybe they're using a harbor that existed from a previous civilization, but they want to open it up so that they can actually use it for their purposes. Regardless, guys, it's just some coral. <laughs> just warm the planet a couple of degrees. That thing, that stuff will die like that. <laughs> That stuff will die if you look at it, if the planet's just a little bit warmer. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's not that hard. You need. <laughs> With no negative effects that I know of. Yeah, I haven't seen any. <laughs> so we get a couple scenes from young Demaya. And I realized during this that I am such a sucker for a yokel seeing cool things for the first time story. (laughs) I love it. I can't get enough of it when that happens. Some kid from a village is on their way to a city, and I'm just so excited for them to get there. I'm like, you're going to see some crazy shit. It's going to be some big buildings. You haven't seen that before. There's going to be restaurants. You're going to love it. There's going to be a brothel. We're going to say you shouldn't go in there. (laughs) I've read so many books that do this, and I I I get excited every time for them. <laughs> do you think you're channeling your own experience, Luke? Um, I think kind of in reverse. Oh, I'm not from a big city necessarily, so I'm doing kind of the reverse. Or sorry, I said that word. I'm not from a big city, but I'm from a decent sized city, yeah, right? Yeah. So when I go somewhere where there's no civilization, this is the effect on me that it's having on her when she goes to a big city. Right. So you go to like Danville, Kentucky, and you're like, wow, (laughs) there's no buildings higher than three stories around here. Okay. (laughs) Are you kidding? There's no McDonald's. Are you kidding me? (laughs) You guys don't have McDonald's? Yeah. Yeah. That kind of thing. No, more like when I go on a backpacking trip and okay. there's no buildings whatsoever and I can see stars. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Whereas the other thing I thought of this is when cyanite and alabaster are on this high road and she's like, yeah, this, you know, it's faster than other places, but it sucks. All you're, all you're doing is, you know, there's no one around, just like gorgeous views constantly. 
going through mountains, that kind of thing. It just sucks. <laughs> I yeah, I was I was reading this like what? Hey, so, uh, twice they've talked about how boring the high roads are. Mm-hmm. Yet at the same time, they describe this incredible landscape that's happening around them. Right, giant bridges that cross chasms and that kind of thing. Huge old growth forests where the trees might jump out and kill you, according to the stories. <laughs> so boring. <laughs> um, okay, I want to I want to keep us on Young Demaya really quick. Okay, because there's this this part which I think is the last section we see from her, where they're 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 walking and I think she's. Uh, what happened before it? I can't remember if he breaks her hand before this or not, but I think she's bored or something and he wants to take her mind off of something. Mm-hmm. And he goes, would you like to hear a story? This <laughs> is before he breaks goes, her hand. Okay, okay. Before the crazy stuff happens. Yeah. They're also and riding a goes, horse. They're not walking. Okay, good point. <laughs> Thank you. And she says, in her mind, a story would be wonderful. <laughs> And I've never related to anything more in my life. <laughs> I've talked about this on previous episodes for us. <laughs> but I love a storyteller in a fantasy book. And I want it brought into our society. I'm surprised you didn't bring it up when we were talking about Warbreaker. Because there was that storyteller in Warbreaker. Can we go- Hold on. Can we do this? Can we go back a book? I think if you don't spoil anything. So we're, this is not any... So in Warbreaker, there's a storyteller. And mm-hmm. this storyteller, when he's telling the story, has props that he pulls out of his pockets. So when he's talking about maybe a desert, he pulls some sand out of his pocket and kind of lets it fall as he's telling this story. And I was very into this. Yeah. Now, yeah, I, I was very into this at first. And then I was thinking, this guy's just dumping garbage everywhere he goes telling a story. Because there's no way he's picking all that shit up after he's done. And so he's just going to leave a little pile of dead leaves and nails and sand everywhere he tells a story. And that I wasn't super into. Fair. Fair. But his use of props. Yeah. Props in a story. Great. But okay, let's go. Let's leave. We did Warbreaker last last week. Let's come back. I was ready for a story because you always get some cool background on the world. I think some people probably don't like it because it's, I don't know, maybe a transparent way to explain history of a world. I don't care about that. I love a good story. It's got to happen and somehow. She does too. And I just loved how she was like, a story would be wonderful in her head. And then she just says, yeah. <laughs> but then we get this, we get this story that turns into her guardian essentially saying that she's less than human and he can do whatever he wants to her. And he, in fact, I think he says the two lessons that she's supposed to take from this are if she does something wrong, he'll hurt her. Even if she does something right, he may still hurt her to teach her a lesson. 
if he thinks Which it's necessary. Just, yeah. I it was just so heartbreaking to see this go to a child. And I didn't I didn't write that much down for it, but gosh. I don't know how to feel about this guy. If I'm being Okay, he's doing some very bad things. Right. But he's being very confusing because he also is saying that he loves her, which is why he's doing these very bad things. I don't I'm assuming he's just doing emotional abuse kind of things. <laughs> so yes, it's very abusive. But then if you think about let's think about the context that all this is happening in. Everybody's terrified of these people. She was right. they thought her family was expecting her to get beheaded. Right. When they told somebody she was there. And this guy comes in and saves her, essentially. But the only way that they've kind of established this is okay in this world is if they have very strict control over these people. And so maybe in his head, he is being a good person when he's doing these things. He is demonstrating love because he's trying to have very strict control over her. Like maybe in his mind, he's saving her life. Exactly. Yeah. By being super harsh to her. And by super harsh, he broke her fucking hand. Right. For nothing. Casually. For nothing. And maybe him doing that is he's rationalized it as I'm protecting her. Because if she can control this, then they won't kill her. Yeah. But there's there was yeah. another problem that I had with that scene, though. Okay. I don't think he expected her to succeed. As in, you think he, when she, when he broke her hand, he was expecting her to lose control and he was going to stab her. Yeah, because he said most Origines can't control it. He broke her hand. Yeah. And then he sounded, I don't know, he didn't sound surprised necessarily, but he said that it wasn't common for people to not lose control. And he was ready right. to kill her if she lost control. Yeah, this is why, this is why I, I th okay, I think your point about him in his mind rationalizing this, and so he maybe thinks that he's doing the right thing. But this is a guy, in this circumstance, you can see that he's done this so many times and has probably killed so many people by just testing them like this. And he starts off when he rescues her, essentially, as seeming really, we like him, I guess, at first. Right. Because he's saving her. He's kind of reprimanding her mom for being kind of a dick. And <laughs> yeah, kind of a dick locking her in a barn. <laughs> but I, okay, tell me if I'm, it's not a perfect analogy, but I'm getting kind of African to US slave trade vibes from this. Hmm. I mean, I'm definitely getting the vibe of, so in the South during slavery, slaves outnumbered slave owners by like 10 to 1 in some places. And so they had to maintain super strict control using really harsh methods. Otherwise, the slaves would revolt and just kill their masters and kill everyone in the South. 
And that feels to me like that kind of dehumanizing oppression is what's going on with the Orogenes. Orogenes. Because they know that they have so much power. And so they have to maintain super strict control over them. Otherwise, they'll rise up and kill everybody. That's what I've, that's the kind of like parallel I've been making. Yeah. A a lot of the, that's kind of what I've, I've been getting a lot of those vibes just from the dehumanization. And I mean, they're essentially turning them into slaves too. Right. Yeah. So it's, well, there's like, the reason why I don't, I don't quite have that as a perfect analogy. Actually, no, this, this makes it even closer. So the whole rationalization behind it is for the greater good. Right. So the node that they've turned this person into just a seismographer, right? It's a seismograph that they've made out of a person. Well, but it also doesn't that you're, I mean, a seismograph just measures things. Sure. So it also dampens the, but it's a person. Essentially an object. They're turning it into an object. Exactly. And this is very similar to what I, how I think the Guardian. Dama's guardian, Dayama's guardian, rationalizes it, is it's for the greater good. They have to maintain mm-hmm. strict control over these people, and they can then use them to help everyone else. And so, I mean, this is like a classic argument for slavery, right, is it's for the greater good of everyone. You know, the whole country benefits if we can have this cheap form of labor, but, you know, if we don't include these people as part of the country, then yes, that that might be true. Right. Damn. Yeah. That's 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 the lens I've been looking at it through. So okay, let me let me go bring us unless you have more to talk about that. Okay, let me go to this node. So we first hear about this before we get to it by Alabaster, I guess he's He's been quelling these quakes, and he explains he's trying to help out the nodes, just give them a little bit less to do. And Cyanite is essentially like, why? They're probably bored out of their mind. I would hate to be one of them. And at first, when I knew nothing about them, I was picturing, because Alabaster does this without, it seems like without a ton of effort. So I was picturing just these, 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 uh, Orogenes? Is that what we're saying? I think so. Is that how we said it in the beginning? I think I said Origins in the beginning. I think Origins is better. Okay, I'm going to say Origins. Just an Origin out there. Has a little farm, you know? And he's doing, he's doing, or he or she's doing these, quelling these quakes every now and then. But other than that, he's just, you know, living life out there, milking some cows hanging out and I was like that sounds pretty nice honestly (laughs) followed up by when we get there and it's a horror show yeah this flip was so stark yeah because he says everyone should see one so I'm picked I'm I'm thinking you know there's more to this than we think it's going to be worse than we think but that's the freaking understatement of the year (laughs) <laughs> my what i couldn't quite tell is do they try to keep origins that haven't been to nodes from going to them to see this 
Probably. Or is it just anyone can go? Well, they have super strict control over Origins. Right. Like, they can't go anywhere without a Guardian. And they're sent out on missions, very specific missions. Other than that, they stay in Fulcrum. Yeah. So So they're I don't they're think, probably not going to these. Yeah, and I, I think it's obvious from what Cyolite, right? That's it? Cyolite? Cyanite. Fucking hell. It's obvious from what Cyanite knows about them, quote unquote knows about them, that they've been told what a node is. Mm-hmm. So people have been telling them what a node is. And that to me signals that they're they are trying to conceal what the actual thing is from these right. because I because originally when Alabaster says everyone should see one, I think this is before we actually get there. And I thought it was more of Alabaster saying everyone should see one to just appreciate that some people have it worse. Yeah. Which technically, yeah. But I now I think he's saying Everyone should see one so that we can start a freaking revolution. Yeah, he's trying to overthrow the system, dude. Yeah. <laughs> there. So the picture I had in my head was slightly different from yours from the description okay. because I was I was a cyanite on this. I was thinking, let him have something to do. I was imagining in heavily forested areas, there are these towers that people watch for wildfires from and it's got to be so boring and a part of you i'm sure every now and then a part of them just wishes there is a fire just wishes that they could see something and say oh yes all right hey everybody there's a fire over there (laughs) and so i was picturing these nodes as these towers in the middle of nowhere that these origins were just waiting for a quake to be able to do something well, I think it seems to me like they're they're not lacking for work. Like I think what you're picturing is people that have this job that never is only needed once every I don't know how long, but when it's needed it's really needed. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think this is more these are happening, I mean I guess it depends on where the outpost is, but these are happening almost constantly. Yeah, I guess that's fair. I think that yeah. I think you're right. The tectonics of this planet are freaking crazy. Right. But I think I think our different viewpoints on this is just <laughs> we have different life goals, I think. My life goal is to open up a farm in the on the coast of Ireland and <laughs> not see anybody for the rest of my life. <laughs> Whereas I would just love to live in a tower in the middle of the woods and not see anyone for the rest of my life. <laughs> right. That sounds fantastic. okay but so the one kind of funny thing that i was able to take from the reading so far this book is just the opposite of harry potter okay this is what i mean now i don't mean that it's creatively the same as harry potter i mean the reaction to people having magic in this book is just the exact opposite of Harry Potter. <laughs> because in Harry Potter, you know, this muggle family finds out their kid can do magic, and the magic agency sends for the kid to come 
and be secluded from the rest of society, but have this great world to play in with butterbeer and funny candies that make your head blow up ten times and cool like magical competitions you can be a part of sounds great I, we all we all would love harry potter this world they find out you can do magic they just kill you right or enslave you yeah or turn you into an abomination that's stopping earthquakes yeah it goes from unfiltered excitement in harry potter to well, <laughs> I want to die in this world. Yeah. And you hope that nobody is born with magic. Because in this world, if you're born with magic, no option is good. Right, because I think Cyanite says, because Cyanite, her, so her job in this little travel that they're doing is to get pregnant and have a kid. Which is, we haven't talked about, but is... <laughs> I don't think we need to say a lot about it, but the whole situation is the worst. So bad. Right. Right. Um, and she says something along the lines of the best possible outcome is for our kid to, I don't, I forget what exactly they call them, but essentially to not have the magic. To be a still. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then Alabaster's, no, that's actually really bad because <laughs> no one will accept them. God damn it. Yeah, there is no good situation for anybody who is an origin. Right. Okay. That's... So We haven't talked much about the mother slash older Diama. I'm, there's a decent chance I switch the Y and the M's every time I say her name, but... Yeah. I don't... But I am excited to see more. About what happens. Yeah, I have no idea what's going to happen with her. I'm interested to get more of her backstory. Now, if she is this young person that we think she is, I think that's super cool. And I'm excited for that backstory to reveal more of her backstory and how she ended up getting back to kind of being a nobody. Right, like, where's her guardian? How is she? How did she escape being in the fulcrum? Exactly. That story sounds so fascinating. Right. And I'm excited to see her just murder her husband for beating for beating <laughs> yeah, their child really to death in the first chapter. You so you started this book before I did. And you told me it was dark, but I didn't realize how dark. And then I thought you okay, you said the beginning was dark. So I thought that it was gonna lighten up. It has not. It has not at all. It's gotten worse. I thought it was going to lighten up too because I thought this was going to be a story that started dark and then kind of moved past it into something else. No. The chapter we finished on is probably the darkest point we have reached so far. Right. Right. So maybe it'll lighten up. I don't know if I... I don't know if I even want it to. Well, okay. For the purposes of our podcast, I might. (laughs) If it doesn't, though... I mean, I'm sure we'll be able to find something to do with the darkness. We'll we'll come up with maybe some hot takes. Yeah, and find a way to keep acting like dumb.